Well, hello, everybody. I hope you've had a wonderful week. Welcome to the fourth and final class of Unmasking the Demons in the Kingdom of the Heart. Today, we'll, we will be discussing uh, Shakatasura and the lessons that he holds for sadhikas regarding uh, the burden of cultural bias and mistaking form for substance. Umagyana timerandasya gyananjana shalakaya chakshur unmilitam yena tasmai shri gurave namaha siddhantot palasadanicharasikam Ham saham vilhasatmikam Audaryakya sudamasevagadanam Vishramba bhakti pradam Yachna yuti vichakshanam tvagabido Vaishishta shaktya sada Vandeham triparari namakayatim Shri bhakti vedantinam Shri Guru Paramananda Premananda Palaprada Rajananda Pradananda Sevayamaniyo Jaya Namo Mahavadanyaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gortashe Namaha Hey, Krishna Karuna Sindhu, Dina Bando Jagatate, Gopesha Gopika Kanta, Radha Kanta Namostute, Tapta Kanchana Gorangi, Radhe Brindavaneshwari, Rishabhanu Suta Devi, Pranami Hari Priye. Bancha kalpatarubhyascha, kripa sindhubhyevacha, patitanam pavanebhyo, vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. So thank you again for joining me today. During this series on unmasking the demons in the kingdom of the heart, We've been approaching Krishna in an indirect manner by hearing about his occasional leelas, <clears throat> as opposed to the eightfold daily leelas. These occasional leelas hold for the Sadika lessons as to the as to the obstacles um, to our progress. Um, that we bring with us misconceptions or false values, things that we need to leave behind as we embark on our journey to Braj Bhakti. So this is uh, Bhaktarino Thakur has said this, and it perfectly sums up what we're doing here. Hearing the indirect pastimes of killing the demons, the devotee will be able to destroy the obstacles to tasting the rasa. As a result, the material gunas will disappear and they will easily be 
be able to see and attain Goloka. In his Chaitanya Shikshamrita, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur has metaphorically linked the obstacles that are often encountered by sadhakas to the demons in Krishna Leela. It's important to note that the link between the obstacles and the demons is metaphorical. The link is metaphorical, but not the demons themselves or the Leela itself. That is not simply metaphorical. So there's a big uh, difference between, between those two things. So, so far in this series, we've spoken about obstacles in general. Um, again, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur explains that as long as the creeper, our bhakti creeper, is bound in the material world made of prakriti, mahatattva, ahankara, form, taste, smell, touch, sound, the five knowledge gathering senses, the five senses of action, the mind, earth, water, fire, air, ether, goodness, passion, and ignorance, there are obstacles to its growth. So pretty much everything we know, everything, everything that we touch in our daily lives can be obstacles to our growth unless we know how to properly approach them. By discussing Krishna's defeating the demons, we can reflect on how these different demons got in the way of Krishna consciousness and how they personify what might be found within us. We also spoke about the relationship between endeavor and mercy. If we want a garden, we can't just sit around and wish it to be so. There are so many things to do, and yet, in spite of our endeavors, we don't actually do the magic part of it. We don't do photosynthesis. We don't create the roots to absorb the water and carry it up to the stem, up the stem to the leaves. So both need to be there. The magic things that are going on behind the scenes, that is the grace, and then also our endeavor. So the Sarup Shakti is that active principle within our bhakti garden. By touching this Sarup Shakti, all of our anarthas will be vanquished, just like darkness. As soon as we turn on the light, darkness is gone. So Shravanam and Kirtanam, hearing the pastimes, identifying our demons, and calling out to the Lord. As you may have remembered, if you've seen prior classes, I told the story of my three-year-old daughter who found me to be an obstacle to her devotional practice, and she called to Krishna, 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 save me from this terrible demon. So this is quite good example as to how we can rid ourselves of these obstacles. We've spoken about King Kangsa and about making the intelligence king. By our intelligence alone, we cannot understand Krishna. It's just not possible. Intelligence 
cannot taste the apple, but we can use our intelligence to discern what is favorable and what is not favorable for our practice. We also gave a quite extensive history of King Kangsa and how he conquered all of the demons and brought them under his reign. We spoke about Putana being the false guru or the pseudo spiritualist and disguising herself as a very good devotee, playing the part of someone who really has taste. However, her taste was poisoned by selfish motivations and self-deceit. Psychologically, we are prone to self-deception and are not aware of what hides in our shadows. This is one of the real benefits of sarusanga. We are very good at seeing each other's mm, blind spots, let's say. So we can use that to, in a kind way, of course, to help each other see that which we blind ourselves to, our misunderstandings, our misconceptions, our self-deceptions. We can help each other with these things. We also brought out how many of our contemporary ideas about witches as displayed, especially this time of year in the US at least, are a carryover from Putana, a Ketri witch who flies on a broom in the sky. Today, if we have time, we're going to talk about three demons, two of them because I feel passionate about the lessons that they hold. And one of them because it is a special Leela. It is, um, it's a Leela of special interest to the disciples of, of Swami Tripurari. For most of us here today, um, that, would that would include most of us. So uh, we'll speak about Chakatasura in depth. And then if we have time, I'll mention about uh, Trinavarta and then today's reading of the Leela will be that of Agasura. So let us begin. After the Putana incident, um, eventually the village settled down but Nanda Maharaj, he remained a little wary, seeing that Vasudev's warning about Kangsa ramping up his endeavors to find and kill Krishna, that those warnings had some merit. Kangsa became aware of Putana's death. And knowing that Putana was a formidable foe and could not be killed by just anyone, he started to become suspicious and think that it was actually this Krishna who was the child who he was looking for, the child who was destined to kill him. So he sent another demon, Shakatasura, directly to Krishna's village. In the previous life, this demon was known as Udkacha. He was a giant and the son of, Haranyakashi, of Haranyaksha. Haranyaksha is the brother of Haranyakashipu. So one day, this demon, Udkacha, 
he went to the hermitage of Lomashamuni and he broke some trees with his gigantic body. The sage, being a sage and doing what sages often do, became angry and cursed him to become bodiless. Immediately, his body fell away. It's described, it's like the snake, a snake shedding his skin. Immediately, his body was shed. And the demon, he fell at the feet of the sage and begged pardon. So the sage became pleased with him and transformed his curse, as sages often do, into a blessing. So he said to the demon, you may have a body made of air. When the Chakshush Manvantara is over and the Vaivasvata Manvantara has come, that's the, the Manvantara that we are in now, Lord Hari's foot will give you liberation. So that was his blessing to this demon whom he cursed to be bodiless. So he became a flying type of a ghostly demon who was able to enter into objects themselves and animate them. And this, and it was he who now hovered in the sky watching the village below. At this time, Krishna was just turning three months old. And in his village, this was an auspicious occasion. At this time also, a nurse noticed that he had been placed down on his back. But when she returned, he had rolled over onto his side and he was, actually had his head sitting on his, resting on his hand. So this was another cause for a festival. Relatives and friends, all of Brudge, were, were invited to this festival. So Yashoda, being the host of the festival, was very busy greeting people. Um, she was seeing to their welfare and was totally absorbed. So she put Krishna on a swing. You've probably seen in some movies, it's kind of like a bed that's on ropes that can, can swing. Um, so she, there was a swing that was placed under the cart out, out of the sun in the shade. So because she was so consumed by her social affairs, time passed very quickly. And in one of the scriptures that I read, it actually gave the time, it was five hours had passed. So Krishna had become very hungry and his cries were not heard because all of the commotion and the festivities and everything. So he was getting a little mm, upset. So Shakatasura, who was hovering above, watching all of this, he saw an opportunity to get close to Krishna and fulfill the wishes of Kangsa. He entered in his ghostly form into the cart and planned on weighing it down and crushing the baby Krishna. So on one side, Krishna was aware that Shakatasura was there, but more than that, he was just upset at not being fed. So he raised one foot in protest, 
barely touched the cart and it went flying into the sky. It crashed down on the ground, but as you may have guessed, Krishna was safe. He was found beneath the cart unharmed. And when Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda questioned some of the young boys about what had happened, because they were there and they saw it, um, they, they told the adults what had happened, but Nanda and Yashoda, they did not believe the boys. They, they're like, how, how is this possible? So in this regard, Guru, Guru Maharaj, in a joking, but kind of not joking way, points out that, that doubts don't make us unfit in this process. Even Nanda and Yashoda had doubts that these things could be real, that these things could really happen. So this demon can be thought of to represent the heavy burden of prejudices and cultural biases that we drag into the realm of our spiritual life. Things that don't have anything to do with Krishna consciousness itself. The cultural baggage has the potential to obscure the essence of what Krishna consciousness is really about. At any one time, we are a bag of bias. We're full of preconceived notions on how things work, on how things should be, on how things shouldn't be. And we tend to think that even if we have peeled off layer after layer of truths that now I have arrived at conclusive truth. This, this is the end. I've reached it. I am free of bias. But in actuality, <laughs> who can say that? Think of the personality that came to my mind was Sri Uddhava. Think of how great a personality he is, especially in comparison to ourselves. He's Krishna's minister. Krishna turns to him for scriptural guidance. And yet Krishna sent him to the gopis for schooling. He had, a, he had not attained a comprehensive understanding about Krishna, although he knew all of the Vedas, all of the scriptures, and he was a friend of Krishna. So what to speak of Sri of ourselves and what to speak of Sri Uddhava, but Krishna himself doesn't even know himself conclusively. We are forever students. And that means we are constantly in a process of accepting and eliminating. A surefire way to be hampered by this burden is to deny its existence. Like Shakadasura, he didn't have a body, so it was easy, easy to ignore his existence. Can't see him, so how bad can it be? But our cultural biases being the very vehicle which brings Krishna consciousness into our lives is often very difficult to detect. 
no one lives in a vacuum and no one lives in a space without an environment. And with these, if we're in an environment, we have a cultural bias. It's there and we have to acknowledge its existence. Krishna consciousness comes to us through a particular cultural filter. It's draped over the landscape of our environment. And it's oftentimes difficult to separate the two, but we're meant to do just that, to look behind the mask, to grow beyond our attachment to the cultural filters through which Krishna consciousness appears. We are meant to identify the externals and not identify with the externals. We are meant to identify with the essence. In this regard, Guru Maharaj tells a famous story. And if you've ever listened to Guru Maharaj's classes, you've probably heard this, but it is perfect. So I have to also share it. Um, it's about the Bhagavad Gita and the cat. There was um, a guru who would, who every night would sit down and speak the Bhagavad Gita in his ashram. So one day this cat came and started meow, meow, meowing. So to keep him quiet and get rid of the disturbance, he told his um, disciples, give the cat some milk tie it up to a tree over there and give him some milk. So they did that and the cat happily drank the milk and was quiet. Then the next day, the same thing happened. So the cat learned quickly that if he comes to class and he cries, he's going to get milk. So this went on for quite some time and the guru had was, had, was old and he had passed away and a new guru came and they continued to sing with the cat because, you know, the cat kept coming. Way to stop the cat from crying, disturbing class, give it milk. So then eventually, though, that cat also left. So the, the, the current guru was instructed his disciples to go out and find a cat because surely we cannot give Bhagavad Gita class without a cat. So that is the perfect example of mistaking a circumstantial event to be the essence of bhakti. And this is what we really need to learn how to differentiate between. We're meant to be sargrahi, not barvahi devotees. These are hot terms today, and they come up quite often in discussions that Padmanabha Maharaj has regarding Jiva Tattva and the origins of Bhakti. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur often used these terms. A Barvahi person commits to a particular tradition but he identifies with the externals, with the form, with the regulations for regulations sake. 
to the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law or substance behind the form. Trila Rupa Goswami warns that adherence to regulations without understanding their meaning, without understanding their purpose is actually detrimental to bhakti. Of course, on the other side, it is just as detrimental to judge something that is essential as being something that is relative. So in order to navigate this territory, it is beneficial to us to be under the guidance of a Sargrahi Vaishnav. A Sargrahi Vaishnav is secure in his faith. He's not threatened by different forms that it takes. He can step outside of, of his own tradition and appreciate the insights that others have without losing faith in their own tradition. Zargari Vaishnav is able to adapt the presentation, the form according to the time, the place and the circumstance without compromising its ultimate purity, intent and reach. So this Barbarhi person is known as a heavy load carrier, Shakatasura. And they have the tendency to think that the guru is absolute and that everything they say is absolutely correct in all times and all circumstances. Now, we should understand that the guru is absolute in the sense that they are pointing in one direction. But how they point, the directions they give us from how to get to point A to point B are, dare I say, absolutely relative. They're relative to the Kala Desha Patra, to the time, place, and circumstance. The person with a Barbarhi mentality considers relative presentations as a weakness, as a form of trickery, or as a limitation of truth. But I kind of saw that this could be compared to Mayavadis who think that they are liberating the absolute truth by denying him a form, right? They, that, but by doing this, they themselves actually limit the Lord by that very denial. So the Barbarhi actually limits the absolute reach of the guru by denying the form of their presentation. To think that the guru, the acharya, does not present philosophy according to time, place, and circumstance is to deny the reality we constantly experience. The nature of reality, it is relative experience. This is how we function from moment to moment. We drive down the road 
we're certainly going to adapt our driving to the conditions on the road. The inner and outer worlds are constantly changing and our adapt adaptation to those changes is so normal that we don't even notice them. If I'm coming from the East Coast and you are coming from the West Coast, won't we follow different directions in order to get to the same spot? If we followed the same directions, we will actually end up in different places. So if we don't adapt our behaviors, our thoughts according to the environment we are in, we're considered, well, actually we're considered dysfunctional. If a 50 year old man never went beyond his backyard because when he was three years old, his mother told him to never go over the fence we would consider him to have a problem. So taking a relative truth that at one time was beneficial to adhere by and turning it into an absolute principle, a universal doctrine will hamper our progress by not, actual, by not acknowledging the existence of relative truths. One is left to accept all teachings as absolute. And this is childish immaturity. It is also dangerous because it creates a fertile ground for the absolute abuse of power. However, if we recognize that relativity is an absolute part of any presentation of the absolute truth, even in our immature stage, when we're unable to discern principles from details, the essential tattva from the relative application, we will develop a flexibility and elasticity of thought that will allow us to develop and grow over time, that will allow us to accept and eliminate and avoid a toxic condition. Just a few days ago, I saw on Facebook, a devotee began a post with, I think, dot, 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 dot. He, was a, he was a Prabhupada disciple. And then another Prabhupada disciple commented, Srila Prabhupada said, the original sin is, I think. So first of all, I searched the database and I couldn't find that Srila Prabhupada was saying that in any of his recorded morning walks or room conversations or letters or books. So there's that one aspect. But most importantly, even if we were to accept that he did say it, should we really accept the purport of it to be that we should be mindless non-thinking automatons. Is that what he was? Is that what Bhakti Siddhanta was? Is that what Bhakti Vinod Thakur was? Any of our acharyas? No way. They thought so deeply, deeply within the theology 
and they thought critically about the institutions teaching the theology. They kicked that cart and turned it upside down. And this upset a lot of people in their time. We must be willing to do the work to, to do this within our own conceptual framework, to let go of crutches, which were necessary for us at one time to give us firm ground to stand on and to grow some legs. But now we have to accept responsibility of our own participation in our spiritual development. Don't be, as Guru Maharaj says, brain dead bhakti. There is a danger, however, that as we exercise our intelligence, that we don't install Kamsa back on the throne by thinking that we can arrive at conclusive truth simply through reasoning. Here's a quote um, that our Guru Maharaj has said, no philosophy that seeks to explain the nature of reality is competent to do so completely because of the nature of reality. It escapes definition, explanation. It cannot be limited by words or thoughts. So some people interpret that to mean, so we should stop talking. We should stop thinking. But this is not the practice of Gaudiya's. Our Acharyas teach, we cannot think enough about it. Spiritual knowledge is descending. We can't climb our way into the transcendent realm with material tools. The mind and the body are made up of the very stuff we're trying to transcend. We cannot intellectualize ourselves out of Maya with the very tools that keep us in her bondage. Through the finest discrimination, we can come to the point of knowing that we are not the body, but we cannot come to know Krishna in this way. For that, we need grace. As Gurmaj says, we need a visa, not just a passport. The key is to use our body, our intelligence, our mind in relation to grace within that environment. As much as we would benefit from becoming unencumbered by the burden of heavy and misplaced values, in our zealousness, we must be careful to not seek the essence so fanatically that we end up removing the essence itself. That we end up excavating the personality from the person, the bias and the nuance of the Leela itself, rather recognize them as such. Um, this will become clear if you think of um, turmeric. Turmeric is known as a blood purifier, but a lot of people don't know 
that it also has the potential that if taken in excess, it has the ability to purify the blood right out of the blood and leave behind just a watery facsimile. So we should critically think about things in a balanced way, what the meaning is behind this pot and that pan that is stacked in the cart of cultural bias. Why is this being said? And why in that way? What is the context in which this rule was evoked? Was it in any way relative to conditions that are no longer in effect? Is it something essential for all times? So we have to think about these things and not just accept things on face value. So I wanted to <clears throat> um, quickly mention another demon, Trinavarta, and the lessons that he holds for us. Excuse me. <clears throat> About nine months after Shakatasura met his end, when Krishna was around a year old, um, Kangsa was even more convinced now that Krishna was his nemesis. So he sent another demon to kill Krishna. He needed something different, very different. And he thought to call on the wind demon Trinavarta. Mother Yashoda had Krishna on her lap, but she began to sense that Krishna was getting heavier and heavier, and she was becoming weaker and weaker. So she put him down. And at that time, a big tornado came and picked up baby Krishna without anyone seeing. When Yashoda went to the place where she had left Krishna. He wasn't there. So Yashoda went mad, searching here and there, frantically looking for her child. The parents and the villagers, they were looking everywhere. Who can imagine what they were experiencing? This is a, a parent's worst nightmare. I suffered from this nightmare when I was a new mother shopping in the store. I was afraid to turn my back um, to the cart, um, thinking that somebody might snatch her out of that cart while I was reaching for something on the shelf. So I have a little bit of an idea, but nothing compared to what they actually were experiencing. Meanwhile, Krishna flying in the sky is having a good old time. He's on tour and he thinks, oh, look, this guy, he's taking me exactly where I wanted to go. The ladies in the heavenly planets, they've been desiring to have a closer look at me. So now I can fulfill his desires, their desires, sorry. But as he was going higher and higher, he got a little afraid and thought he'd better hang on 
So he put his arms tightly around Trinavarta's neck. And as he did with his mom, Krishna became heavier and heavier. And Trinavarta could not maintain his flight. And down, down to the ground came sinful Trinavarta. To me, Trinavarta represents having too many gurus. And as a result, just going round and round, touching down here, grab a little of this, touch down there, grab a little of that, without really committing to any one thing, to any one guru, without having any real footing because of always changing direction. Now, this does not speak about becoming non-flexible in our understanding or not going where the flow of bhakti may take us. This speaks more about being non-committal and just blowing through our devotional life without taking real, real responsibility for it. So I'll say a few concluding words now before reading the Leela in case I run over time and people um, have to leave. So during this series, we've tried to unmask some of the false values we bring with us into spiritual life that no longer serve us as sadhakas. It's our duty as students to think critically about how we are applying ourselves to our practice through positive contemplation on Krishna's lila. Negative things can be removed from our heart. This is our approach. We don't try to separately remove these things. Why, why would we? There's no more powerful way to accomplish this than to invite Krishna into our lives. Devotional service in Krishna consciousness is so sublime that even a little service rendered to Krishna knowingly or unknowingly gives one the greatest transcendental benefit. So now on to the reading of the Leela. In the Pranam mantra of Swami Tripurari, our Guru Maharaj, he is described as being specially empowered by Agabido, the enemy or killer of Agasura. This Leela really displays the relishable bobs of Krishna's cowherd friends and Krishna. Confidence is one of the main sentiments of the Sakas, and this drama really draws that out. No fear. It can also be pointed out that this Pranam Mantra additionally highlights our Gumaraja's swan-like ability to separate milk the essence from a mixture of water and milk to separate the essence from cultural presentations. We are indeed fortunate to be under the guidance of such Sargrahi Vaishnavs. So now I will read the wonderful pastime of Krishna and Agasura. After I get a drink. One time, 
waking up very early in the morning, the brother of Balaram, the sole protector of the universe, developed a desire by chance. By chance means Leela Shakti. And he thought, today we should have our morning meal in the forest. Finishing his morning duties, he asked his mother to allow this. Pleasing his mother by his actions, he went out with her permission and with the sound of his buffalo horn, woke up his friends and Balaram. Going quickly and sitting at the crossroads, waiting for his friends for a few moments, he looked around. Rising from bed, his friends came running and gathered together. Krishna was waiting, expecting Balaram to arrive in a few moments. When Balaram's servants came, they spoke to Krishna. A servant related the message spoken by Balaram. Oh, my brother Krishna, though I want to play with you, something has suddenly come up to prevent me. My maternal uncle of the Puru dynasty has come to see me on some surprising business. He remains here fixed like a tree in the room. I know that you got up early with a special desire. Please fulfill your desire for pastimes. If some obstacle arises at the beginning of a new activity, it will prevent the action from bearing fruit. On hearing the words of the servant, Krishna, whose lotus eyes stretched to his ears, desiring to play, said to his friends, quickly, have your lunch packets containing suitable food tied with a string prepared for sending to the forest. Our mothers will also send us food through some proper persons. So making beneficial arrangements for well-wishing friends, generous Krishna leading the deer calves entered the forest. It is said that thousands and thousands of young boys went with Krishna to herd the calves. It is said that there were 10,000, a million or 10 million boys. The number of calves that Krishna herded was also unlimited. When Krishna started for the forest, a million horns and flutes resounded and a million calves cried out, mixed with the boys shouting. Thus, Krishna playfully made Balaram's heart and the whole world tremble. The boys were fully decorated with various kinds of golden ornaments, yet out of sporting propensities, they began to pick up flowers and leaves, twigs, peacock feathers, and red clay from different places in the forest and further decorate themselves in different ways. While passing through the forest, one boy stole another boy's lunch package and passed it to a third. And when the boy whose lunch package was stolen came to know of it, he tried to take it back. But the boy who had it, who had it threw it to another boy. This sport of playing went on amongst the boys as childhood pastimes. When Lord Krishna went ahead, to a distant place in order to see some specific scenery, the boys behind him ran to try to catch up and be the first to touch him. So there was a great competition. One would say, I will go there and touch Krishna. Another would say, oh, you cannot go. I'll touch Krishna first. Some of them played on their flutes or vibrated bugles made of buffalo horn. 
Some of them gladly followed the peacocks and imitated the sounds of the cuckoos. While the birds were flying in the sky, speed being an object of praise for cowherd boys, some of the boys ran after the birds' shadows along the ground and tried to follow their exact courses. Some of them went to the monkeys and silently sat down by them. Some of them imitated the dancing of peacocks. Some of them caught monkeys by the tail and played with them. And when the monkeys jumped into a tree, the boys followed. When a monkey showed its teeth and face, a boy imitated and showed his teeth to the monkey. Some of the boys played with the frogs on the bank of the Yamuna. And when out of fear, the frogs jumped into the water, the boys immediately dove in after them. When the boys came out of the water and saw their own shadows, they would stand imitating, making caricatures and laughing. They would also go to an empty well and make loud sounds. When the echo came back, they would call it ill names and laugh. The pastimes that the boys following Krishna performed surpassed the acts of magicians and surpassed the understanding of the jnanis and devotees. When Krishna desired another type of play and the boys skillful at all arts diversified their antics, the younger brother of Baka and Putana, Agasura arrived on their path like a black cloud suddenly appearing in the sky. Agasura, instigated by Kangsa, came with great determination he thought, Krishna has killed my brother and sister. Now I shall kill him along with all his friends and calves. If he killed Krishna and all the cowherd boys, then automatically all the inhabitants of Vrindavan would die. And to mention, this particular thing is why Agasura is known as personified sin. So Agasura, thus deciding to kill all the inhabitants of Vrindavan, expanded himself up to eight miles long by the yogic city called Mahima. The demons are generally expert in achieving almost all kinds of mystic powers. Having attained this wonderful body, he stretched his mouth open like a mountain cave desiring to swallow all the boys at once, including Krishna. He sat on the path. Sorry. <laughs> the demon in the shape of a big fat serpent expanded his lips from land to sky. His lower lip was touching the ground and his upper lip was touching the clouds. His jaws appeared like a big mountain cave without limitation, and his teeth appeared just like mountain summits. His tongue appeared like a broad traffic way, and he was breathing just like a hurricane. His eyes were blazing like fire. At first, the boys thought that the demon was a statue, but after examining it, they saw that it was a big serpent laying down on the road and widening his mouth. The boys began to talk among themselves. Dear friends, this figure appears to be a great animal and he's just sitting in such a posture just to swallow us all. 
just see, is it not a big snake that has widened his mouth to eat all of us? One of them said, yes, what you say is true. This animal's upper lip appears to be just like the sunshine and its lower lip is just like the reflection of red sunshine on the ground. Dear friends, just look to the right and left hand side of the mouth of the animal. Its mouth appears to be like a big mountain cave and its height cannot be estimated. The chin is also raised just like a mountain summit. That long highway appears to be its tongue and inside the mouth, it is as dark as a mountain cave. The hot wind that is blowing like a hurricane is his breathing and that fishy bad smell coming from his mouth is the smell of his intestines. Then they further consulted among themselves. If we all at one time entered the mouth of this great serpent, how could it possibly swallow all of us? And even if it were to swallow all of us at once, it could not swallow Krishna. Krishna will immediately kill him as he did Bakasura. Talking in this way, all the boys looked at the beautiful lotus-like face of Krishna and they began to clap and smile. And so they marched forward and entered the mouth of their gigantic serpent. Meanwhile, Krishna could understand that the big statuesque figure of a demon was a demon. The boys did not know this, however, and thus while Krishna was playing, was planning how to stop the destruction of his intimate friends, all the boys along with their calves entered the mouth of the serpent. But Krishna did not enter. The demon was awaiting Krishna's entrance and he was thinking, everyone has entered, has entered except Krishna, who has killed my brother and sister. When Krishna saw that his friends were already out of his hands and were lying in the belly of a great serpent, he became momentarily aggrieved. He then began to consider how he could kill the demon and at the same time save the boys and calves. Finally, after some deliberation, he also entered the mouth of the demon. When Krishna entered, all the demigods who had gathered to see the fun and who were hiding within the clouds expressed their feelings with words, alas, alas. At that time, all the friends of Agasura, especially Kangsa, expressed their jubilation, understanding that Krishna had also entered the mouth of the demon. While the demon was trying to smash Krishna and his companions, Krishna heard the demigods crying, alas, alas, and he immediately began to expand himself within the throat of the demon. Although he had a gigantic body, the demon choked by the expanding of Krishna. His big eyes moved violently and he quickly suffocated. His life air could not come out from any source and ultimately it burst out of a hole in the upper part of his skull. Thus his life air passed off. After the demon was dead, Krishna with his transcendental glance alone 
brought the boys and calves back to consciousness and came with them out of the mouth of the demon. While Krishna was within the mouth of Agasura, the demon spirit soul came out like a dazzling light illuminating all directions and waited in the sky. He had nowhere else to go. As soon as Krishna came out of the mouth of the demon with his calves and friends, that glittering effulgent light immediately merged into the body of Krishna within the vision of all the demigods. The demigods became overwhelmed with joy and showered flowers on the supreme personality of Godhead Krishna, and they worshipped him. The denizens of heaven danced in jubilation, and the denizens in Gandharvaloka offered various kinds of prayers. Drummers beat drums in jubilation. The Brahmins recited Vedic hymns, and all the devotees of the Lord chanted the words, Jai, Jai, all glories to the supreme personality of Godhead. When Lord Balaram heard those auspicious, sorry, when Lord Brahma heard those auspicious vibrations, which sounded throughout the higher planetary system, he immediately came down to see what had happened. He saw the demon was killed and he was struck with wonder at the uncommon, glorious pastimes of the personality of Godhead. Krishna thought, O oh, demon Aga, as darkness disappears with the contact of light, you have suddenly been destroyed by contact with me. You knew this, so what fault do I have? You swallowed unlimited calves and cowherd boys, and not being satisfied, you desire to swallow me as well. I came into your heart in order to satisfy you, but because of being restricted, your life heirs desire to come out. Though I did not agree, those airs burst out of your head. What can I do? The gigantic mouth of the demon remained in an open position for many days, gradually dried up. It remained a spot of pleasure pastimes for all the cowherd boys. <clears throat> so thus ends the Leela of Krishna and Agasura. Um, we can take so much shelter in these in these Leelas and pray to Krishna to. I'm probably going to cry, to enter our hearts. Also, so does anybody have any comments or questions or corrections? You can please feel free to unmute yourself. All righty. So I wish you Pranam a good Dr. week. Oh, yes. I'm Sakirati Devi. I can turn on the camera today, but uh, I just want to share my appreciation for the series. I really like it. It was very nice how you presented all the demons and Krishna. So thank you very much. For well, this. thank you for thank your you. consistent listening. It's, it's very um, enthusing. 
So thank all of you. Thanks. Anyone else have something to add or correct? All right. Thank you very much. Jai. Jai.